Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Amen. You may be seated. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. We're going to really look at the, the whole of that chapter this morning, but as you're turning there, uh, I don't know about you, as, as a father, one of my favorite memories, uh, being a dad, is uh, those moments when I'm on vacation uh, with my family and we're, we're at a hotel or we're somewhere and there's a swimming pool. You know what I'm talking about. The kids, they, they, they love the swimming pool. And I'll think back to those memories, and those of you who are parents, you've, you've probably got these memories too, where um, you as dad, you're in, in the pool, in the water, and um, it's colder than you like, and, and you're mad about it, but you're there for your kids, right? And your kids, are, they're, they're on the, the edge of the pool, and, and, the, and their toes are, are hanging off the edge. You know what I'm talking about. And you're down there, and you're looking up at them, and, and they've got those, those goggles smashed against their face, you know, right? And, and you're like, how are you able to see anything? And you've got your arms up, and you're saying, jump, jump. And, 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 they, and they kind of swing their arms a little bit, big smile, but like a smile of fear and terror. And after a few moments of nudging and urging, they leap. And they hit the water. And you watch them sink to the bottom. <laughs> you say, swim, kid. No, that's not what happens. They leap. And, and as dad, you, you grab a hold of them and you put them in your arms and you say, do it again. And they get up and they get on that edge and they put their toes on the edge and they leap a little bit quicker the second time, don't they? And they come back and they do it again and they do it again and they do it again and that leap took courage. But the courage was rooted not in themselves, but it was rooted in who was in the pool. Their daddy. You see, church, God has us as his people, if you will, on the edge with our toes hanging off, longing to experience and to know God in a way that we've never known him before, longing to watch God move and do something that we've never seen him do before. And I believe it is in the courageous leap of faith, trusting in our Father with open arms, as he says, leap, that we'll experience it. That which is alive moves. That which is healthy moves. And I believe that God has called us as a church to continue to move forward for his kingdom and for his glory courageously so that we might bring him glory and experience things that only can be described as but God. As I began praying through this series, this courageous forward together series, um, quite honestly, I didn't know how I was going to begin it. 
I knew where I wanted to go, but I didn't know how I was going to begin. And I was reading through some scripture, and I got to Exodus chapter 33, and as I was reading through this chapter, it was as if the Lord said, stop, this is where you begin. We're going to start here. We're going to start here. And this verse is what I read when the Lord said, stop. It's verse 15. And Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Let me put it in our words. God, we don't want to go anywhere or do anything unless your presence is with us. In other words, God, you are most important to us. God, we want you and you alone. Church, we can move forward and accomplish all sorts of things But if God does not go with us, if his presence is not with us, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. You see, church, I believe that the purpose is God's presence. Now, let's look at this scripture, Exodus chapter 33. I've titled my sermon this morning, The Necessity of the Presence of God. The necessity of the presence of God as we move forward together. In Exodus chapter 33, in verse 1 and 2, it says this The Lord said to Moses, Depart. If you've got your copy of God's word, you want to underline that. This word depart, it's a statement of movement. He's telling Moses, he's telling the people, it's time to, to move forward, if you will. Don't be still. It's time to go. He says, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and every other ite that there might be. And this is what the Lord God says. He says, Moses, it's time to take the people and move forward to the place, the promised land as we know it, that I've given you. I've already promised it to Abraham. I've already promised it to Isaac. I've promised it to Jacob. I've promised it to their offspring, to the people of Israel. I will give it to you. It's a place of rest and it's a place of provision. It is good. It's time to go. Go forward. Now, it's important for us to understand the background of what's taken place here. The Israelites that God has rescued from Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, and God raised up a man named Moses to rescue them. And Moses takes them and leads them out of slavery, leaves them out of Egypt. And as they're on their journey, they come to a place called the Red Sea. The Red Sea would be what we would call a large obstacle in the way of what God is doing. Yet they're camped right here and they look back and the Egyptian army is bearing down on them to come and take them captive again. And they're crying out. They're like, what do we do? And God, in his way, knowing what he's accomplishing, says, watch this. I've got it. And he parts the sea and they cross on dry ground. 
And they continue on their journey moving forward, and they come to a place called Mount Sinai. Now, in Exodus chapter 19, a few chapters back, that's where they get to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God says, I want to reveal myself, I want to reveal my presence to the people. Now, consider this. They've already seen the 10 plagues. They've already seen God turn the the Nile River into blood. They've already seen the locust swarm. They've already seen all of these things. They've already seen the Red Sea parted in half and walk across dry ground. But God says, I want them to experience and I want them to know my presence. And so Exodus chapter 19, God tells Moses, he says, I'm coming down on Mount Sinai. I want the people to see this. I want the people to know me. But here's the thing. You need to put a boundary around the mountain so that they can't get too close. If they come up and touch the mountain, get to the mountain while I'm there, my holiness, my perfection is so righteous and so good that it will consume and destroy their sinfulness. They won't make it. But I want them to experience my presence. And so that's what happens in chapter 19. We read this in verse 16. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and there were lightnings and there was a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Picture this. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire, and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. I need you to try as best you can to put yourself in that context, in that moment, experiencing the presence of God coming down on that mountain. It's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening. And so we have this moment in Exodus chapter 19. Then in Exodus chapter 20, a holy God reveals a holy law that says, this is how you are to live as my people. We have the Ten Commandments. And we have all the explanation of the law after that. And then in chapter 25, the scripture says that Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he spends 40 days and 40 nights with God. And God, in those 40 days, reveals to Moses one of the most profound realities that I think that we need to make sure that we wrap our heads around, and it's this, that God longs to dwell with his people. And during those 40 days, God says, I need you to go and construct and build a tabernacle, which will be the dwelling place of me, God. And it is going to be ornate, and it is going to be extravagant, and it's going to have all of these things in there that signify who I am and and worship, and it's going to be the place of worship. And this is what we can't miss. God specifically instructs that that the tabernacle is going to be placed in the middle of the camp among the people. So now we come to chapter 33. And God says to Moses, it's time to go. Now, if you are reading slowly and closely, what you will notice in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 33 is that there are a few what we would call context clues that something is off. 
Notice back at verse 1. Notice what it says. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and, underline this, circle this, the people. It says the people. Now, if you go back and study before this, it was always God said, my people. There's a big difference in God saying, these are my people, and now God saying, the people. All of a sudden, there's clearly some kind of brokenness between the relationship of the my people versus the people. Now, notice verse 2. He says, I will send an angel before you. Before it was God with you, God among you, and now it's an angel before you. Something's different. You see, when God was on the mountaintop with Moses, instructing Moses about the tabernacle, God says this, I will dwell among the people of Israel in chapter 29, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Now in chapter 33, he's saying, the people, and I'm sending an angel before them. I'm not going to be with them, and the angel's not going to be among them. It's going to be out in front of them, distant from them. And so what we have in this moment is God's call for them to move, but now we have in this moment an understanding that something's different. So notice verse 3, what God says next. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promised land. But I will not go up among you. Why? Notice what he says. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God says, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to move. But just know this, I'm not going with you. My presence will not be among you. Why? Because you are stiff-necked. Now, we don't, we don't use that word, right? Stiff-necked. You ever call someone stiff-necked, right? Probably not. But can I just be frank with us this morning that we are all Stiff-necked people. This word stiff-necked, it has this understanding of of pride. It has an understanding of a a hard-heartedness, a a stubbornness, if you will, to say, I can do it my own way. I don't need your way, God. You see, in chapter 32, right before this, it says that the people rebelled. You see, while Moses, and don't miss the irony in this, while Moses is on the mountain for those 40 days and 40 nights getting instruction from God about building a tabernacle, dwelling amongst the people in the middle of the camp, and this is how you're to worship me in this place, the people get a little bit, um, what do we say, impatient because it's been 40 days and 40 nights and they're saying to one another, well, where's Moses? Where did he go? Well, goodness, he must be gone. We better figure it out ourselves. And so what do they do? They gather together and they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, would you make for us a golden image that we can worship that would represent the gods that will go with us, that will lead us forward? In other words, they became stiff-necked, hard-hearted, our way instead of God's way. 
And God realizes this and he sees this and in his righteousness he says, I'm going to consume these people because I am the one true God, nothing else. And here they are, after all I've done, rebelling and turning to false gods and false idols, I cannot stand this as a righteous God. And so we get to this point where we see now in chapter 33 the result of this. And if you want to go look at how God deals with sin, he deals with it significantly in chapter 32. But now he says, I'm going to withdraw my presence. I'm going to not be among you anymore. But you still have my promise. And here's what's powerful about this reality about God. God does not have a um, self-control issue or an anger management issue. When he, when he writes this, he's not writing this like, I can't control myself, so i got to stand back. No, God is fully righteous, and he will judge sin as a fully righteous God. We need to understand this. We need to understand the weight of what sin is against a holy, righteous God. And so God, watch this, out of his kindness, because he does not want to consume them, he pulls back. Why? Because I don't want to consume you. If I stay with you, I will consume you. But I don't want to consume you. I made a promise that I will give you this land. And so watch this. He says, you can have the blessing because I'm a promise maker and I'm a promise keeper. What I promise will be, what I say will be. And so I've promised this land to you. So you go. I'm going to give it to you. But so I don't destroy you, consume you along the way because of your pride and your hard-heartedness. I'm going to stay a little bit distant so that you can make it. In other words, you can have the blessing without the blesser. And so notice what we have in this moment. We have this understanding that God's presence has been removed. Now, church, don't miss this. From the beginning, the purpose of the exodus to the promised land, the purpose was not the promised land. The purpose was the presence of God that he might dwell with them on the way and in the promised land. The promised land was just a blessing that God was going to give to them. He himself was the purpose that I may dwell among them, it says. And so all of a sudden now they realize what they're missing. They're missing the presence of God. And so I want to walk through this. Watch what happens in verse 4 through 6. Here's the point that... I want to make with this. God's presence moves us to repentance. God's presence moves us to repentance. Notice what it says. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. They heard what God said through Moses and they said, this is a disaster. In other words, we don't care if we still get the blessing. If we don't get the blesser, if God doesn't come with it, we don't want it. And so notice what it says. It says, no one put on their ornaments. Now, verse 6 explains this. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now, when it says ornaments here, right, immediately your mind went to Christmas ornaments, didn't it? This is not what it's talking about. It's not talking about taking down the Christmas ornaments from the tree. When it says ornaments here, that's referring to the people having a 
accumulated wealth from their um, escape from Egypt. The Lord blessed them. And so they had a lot of jewelry. They had a lot of nice fine clothing. They had a lot of things that they were wearing, that they were enjoying. And it says that they stripped themselves of this jewelry. They stripped themselves of these nice clothes and set them aside. Here's why. Because in that time period, repentance had an outward posture to it. Meaning you can't have a repentant, contrite, broken heart full of joy looking like you've got it all going together. Repentance led to mourning. Repentance led to humility. Repentance led to casting off that which is what you cling to and saying, no, God and God alone. And so there's an active outward response in their repentance. And here's the power of what this connection is and this idea of casting off the jewelry. In 32, chapter 32, the people took off their jewelry to melt it down to construct a false image, to false God to worship. Now they're taking off their jewelry not to worship a false God, but to in humility with a repentant posture come before the Lord God Almighty and saying, God, we need you. We need your presence. And so church, when they realized that the presence of God was going to be removed from them, they recognized that their sin was separating them from God. Church, we need to understand that it is our sin that breaks the fellowship and the relationship for our enjoyment with God himself and his presence. If we're walking in disobedience, we're not walking in his presence. And so we as a people need to see God's presence and it leads us to a posture in a place of repentance. Notice what it says in verse 6, that they did this from Mount Oreb onward. And I think it's critical and key that this word is in this text because what this tells us is that they didn't just do it once. They didn't just strip themselves of these ornaments and then put them back on. They stripped them off from this Mount Sinai, Mount Oreb, Onward, meaning they left them off and they went forward. They moved forward together in a posture of repentance and humility before the Lord God Almighty, longing for his presence. This is the posture that we have to have as we move forward together as a church if we're going to see God do something miraculous. Number two, we see this. God's presence moves us to worship. God's presence moves us to worship. Notice verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. What is the repeated phrase over and over and over again in this verse? Outside the camp, outside the camp outside the camp, far off from the camp. It's as if Moses and God wants us to understand that the presence of God was distant from the camp of the Israelites. Now here's what's fascinating about this. Go back with me to what I just said about the instruction that God gave Moses in building the tabernacle, which was the dwelling place of God with the people. Where was the tabernacle to be put? Does anybody remember what I just said? in the middle of the camp. God longs to be with his people. But what we have in this situation is God saying, I'm going to be outside the camp. 
distant. Now, watch what happens. It says in verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. Can you picture this with me? Here they are at the camp. They say, hey, Moses is heading out. He's, he's headed to the tent. And word starts to spread around the camp. And everybody finds the highest ground that they can. They, they stand at the edge of their tent and they look out because they're about to see something. And what do they see? Notice what it says, verse 9. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. You see, this cloud, they were very familiar with this cloud. It's the cloud that lead and led them out of Egypt. It's the cloud that walked with them across the Red Sea. It's the cloud that came down on Mount Sinai and, and literally made it tremble, made it shake. And it's, the cloud's the presence of God. And so even though it's outside the camp in a distance, they can see it and, and they can't wait to just watch because it shows them and it, it reminds them that God is still God. He's still coming down, and he's meeting with Moses. Now notice what happens in verse 10. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people, you ready, would rise up and worship. They would rise up, and they would worship, each at his tent door. Now listen, I could spend all week on this one statement right here, but picture this for me. They see the cloud come down, knowing it's the presence of God, and it moves them to worship. As I read this early on, God just gave me a picture of Green Hill Church sitting on Lebanon Road. And it was almost as if God said, here's what I long to do at Green Hill Church. I long for my presence to come down on this place. So that the people experience me and know me and worship me because my presence is real. Now here's what's fascinating is the people Notice from where they are worshiping. Where are they worshiping? From their tent door. God's presence is so powerful and so good that even from a distance, it moves us in such a way that it says, there's something greater and bigger and more glorious and more holy than me, and I can't help but worship the one true God. See, here's what I believe, that when God moves in this place and among this place and the people of this place, that there are people on their doorsteps all around in our community who will be able to catch a glimpse that there's something different, that the living God is at work, and it will draw them to himself. It's not going to be us. It's not going to be a great music team. It's not going to be great programming. It's going to be the presence of God 
among us that's going to draw people to himself. And can I just get really excited for a minute and remind us that this is the Old Testament and that we're living in the New Testament time period where Jesus Christ, God himself, came and dwelt among us as a people, and he went to a cross, and the very thing that, that made the, the tent go outside from the camp was sin. Jesus dealt with that sin on the cross. So the one thing that makes us hard-hearted, our sin, the one thing that separates us from the presence of God, Jesus dealt with on the cross. And if you know the scripture, you know this, that when Jesus died on the cross, there was something called the temple, which was the dwelling place of God in that time period. And the Holy of Holies was the place that could be entered only one time, and that was by the high priest, and that was the the place of God. And, And when Jesus died on the cross, do you know what scripture says? It says that the veil separating the holy of holies from the rest of mankind was ripped in half. You know what that tells me? Come on, church. We don't have to worship God from our tent door. We get to be in the tent. God among us. And guess what? The tent, it's not a building. It's not a piece of property. It's our hearts. God is in you. And his presence is with you, not because you're anything above yourself, but because of what Jesus Christ did and you're trusting in him. It leads us and moves us to worship. Number three is this, the presence of God moves you to obedience. You see, there would be some that would say, well, Brandon, you're just asking for a mystical uh, experience and an emotionalism and, and this whole idea of the presence of God. Now, that's not what I'm saying. Notice this. The presence of God moves us to obedience. Notice verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. This is a fascinating statement because God has already said to Moses who he's sending with him. What does he say? I'm sending an angel before you. And now Moses comes back to God in that tent in his presence. And he says, hey, God, you've told me to lead these people and to go, but but you have not said who you're sending with me. And so here's what I'm going to ask of you, God. Notice verse 13. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. What is Moses asking for? That God would reveal his ways to him so that he can walk in obedience to those ways and know him. And this is fascinating because God's answer in response to Moses asking for his ways is not what you would think. If, if I were to ask God, God, show me your ways, my natural inclination would be, Moses, I've already shown you my ways. I gave you the Ten Commandments. I already told you what the law is. I've given you my ways already. What else do you need? Notice what? God does. Notice how God answers this in verse 14. And he said, God said in response to that question, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Watch this. Our ability to walk in obedience to God's ways is us not knowing a list of rules to obey, but walking in the very presence of God who gave them. If you want to walk in the ways of God, 
Yes, you need to know what the commands are. Yes, you need to know what the standards are. But what you really need to know is the presence of God walking with you. Why? So that he can guide you every single step of the way. Listen, if we're going to move forward courageously in obedience to God, then we need God walking with us, revealing every step of the way. Otherwise, guess what? We're just depending upon our own ways, our own agenda, our own path, our own, you fill in the blank. But God says, no, walk in my presence. And so what does God do? What does God tell Moses? He says, okay, fine, my presence will go with you. It leads to obedience. Finally, this. God's presence makes you distinct. God's presence makes you distinct. When I was reading through this, I came to this verse, and it, it was as if God was just expanding my mind to what he's accomplishing here. Look at verse 16. When verse 15, Moses makes that plea, if your presence will not go with me, then do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not, listen, in your going with us, is it not in your presence that we are distinct? Is it not in your presence that we are distinct and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? In other words, God, what makes us different than any other person on the face of this earth? The answer is not in our ability. The answer is not in our intellect. The answer is not in our leadership skills. The answer is not in our resources. What makes us distinct is God, his presence with us. And this is what God said. Here it is. God's presence is what leads us to be missional. Why is it that Moses said this? Because God's plan from the beginning was to make for himself a people and to bless those people and to care for those people and to provide for those people and to lead those people and to do everything for those people. Why? So that all the nations of the earth would know who the one true living God is. They were distinct, not for their own purposes, but they were distinct so that people could see that God is the true God. So don't miss this. As we walk in the presence of God, all of a sudden, we become distinct, not because of who we are, but we become distinct because of who he is. And the last time I checked, the service projects that we do, the mission projects that we do, the Easter on our streets, the vacation Bible school, and all the things that we do as a church, if we're doing those without the presence of God, all we're doing is showing the community how good we are. Listen, church, the community doesn't need to know how good you are. Because if they really knew how you were, they would say, why would I follow that? Speaking myself. But here's what the community needs. They need to see Jesus. And when the presence of Jesus is manifested in our life and the way that we live by his power, by his might, all of a sudden we are distinct, not because we're something, but because he's something. And the world sees the Savior. The world sees the Savior. What are we displaying to our community? 
hopefully the presence of God. Now listen. Moses boldly proclaims, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. And here's why I think God said start here. Because if we're going to be a church that moves forward on our own ability and our own plans in our own ways, with our own agenda, forget it. It's vain. It's useless, and it only brings glory to ourselves. But if we will be a people with a posture of a repentant heart who are worshiping God because the presence of God is with us, who are walking in obedience to God, distinctly different because of what he's doing in us and through us, then all of a sudden we need to, as our children have done, leap. Saying, God, only if you're going with us, then he can do something. And then he will do something. A few verses later, Moses, having experienced all this, says, it's not enough. And he says, God, show me your glory. As if the, cra- the cloud coming down wasn't enough. He wanted more. Church, I want us to be a people who want more, who want more of God. God, show us your glory. You know what God says? He says, Moses, I like what you're asking, but you don't know what you're asking. Because if you see my face, even you, Moses, will be consumed. My glory and my holiness is that big. But here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you. And I'm going to proclaim my name, that I'm a merciful God. I'm a gracious God. But you can't see my face, so I'm going to hide you in a rock. And as I pass by, I'm going to allow my hand to move by so that when you take a glimpse, you'll see the backside of me in all of its glory. And when Moses did this, he literally was changed. I don't know what you're asking God for. But can we just collectively say, God, show us your glory. Show us your presence. May we walk in it this year. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk more about it in the coming weeks, but um, Experiencing God is a Bible study written several years ago by um, Henry Blackaby and Claude King. Some of you may have done this Bible study before. It's been around for a long time, but they wrote this Bible study to help people move from simply knowing about God to experiencing God, to walking in his presence, to discerning God's will, understanding God's will, and walking in obedience to it. Several months ago, our staff was talking, and and Pastor Rickley actually was like, what do you think it would look like if all of our church together walked through this study? Humbly, repentantly seeking God to experience God so that we can see where God's at work and join him. So as we move forward together, we're aligned with what God wants, not what we want. It's setting our hearts right together collectively so that we can experience him and walk in his presence. And we say, man, absolutely. So for the next four weeks, starting next week, we're going to have a time where you can sign up to be a part of one of these Groups. We're going to have about 18 to 20 groups meeting at different times throughout the week, many on Wednesday nights, some on Sunday nights, some on Monday nights. We're going to create as many opportunities for every person that wants to be a part of this to be a part of this. And I'm encouraging everyone. And here's the thing. Let me just, be, let me just shoot you straight. It's going to require something of you. 
This is a 13-week study that you've got to be committed to to get something out of it. It requires daily work where you're studying the scriptures and you're answering questions and you're memorizing scripture. But I think collectively, if we're willing to do this, step forward courageously in it, God will do something miraculous among us and through us in the days ahead. So that's coming next week. Registration for that. Be thinking, be praying. Lord, do you want to do this in my life this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, we just ask and invite you and your presence among us. God, we know that as believers, the scripture says that you dwell within us. And Lord, we are so grateful. But sometimes, can we just be honest, our stiff-necked, hard-hearted pride somewhat stiff arms you and pushes you aside and we want it our way and our agenda and our plans and so God we confess that would you make yourself known by your presence being on this place and in these people for your name for your glory in Jesus name Amen. This morning we're going to respond in song. If the Lord is speaking to your heart in some way and you want someone to encourage you or pray with you about that, come down front. We'll be happy to pray with you. If you need Jesus to enter into a relationship with him, he longs to save you. He longs to forgive you. Come grab one of us. Let's stand together. Let's respond. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.